Charles Louis Mortgage Advisors, 0161-959-0166. Well, hello and welcome to the latest Forever Blue podcast. I'm Ian Cheeseman and uh, very much appreciate your company uh, as ever. Uh, and obviously, if you enjoy this podcast, give it a share, give it a retweet and tell everybody about it. If you don't, don't tell anybody about it. Just keep it quiet. <laughs> anyway, thanks very much to uh, charleslouis.co.uk, who are uh, Chartered Mortgage Advisors. They do so much more in the the sector that they work in as well as mortgages they buy and sell commercially and privately so if you've got any information you'd like to get then have a look at their website charleslouis.co.uk and have a look at the phone number that's on there and you can then uh, ring them up and get them some advice I'm sure they would be delighted to uh, to try and help you as much as they can and of course they're run by a city fan whose name is Dave um, so he would be delighted to hear that you heard about them on the Forever Blue podcast. Now let me introduce you to my uh, my lineup tonight our star guest our main guest tonight is a former city player a Rolls Royce of a defender as far as I'm concerned uh, he's also gone on to management um, but Honestly, I've seen a lot of footballers play for Manchester City uh, and uh, Keith Curl, who's with us tonight, is one of the smoothest, uh, most stylish centre-backs I've ever seen. Uh, I can say that hand on heart, um, a, a truly great footballer. And I've had the pleasure of speaking to him before, uh, a gentleman as well. So, Keith, thanks very much for joining us. Really appreciate your time tonight. We've also got uh, with us uh, Mark Murray, who's a first timer in terms of the uh, the podcast. So, Mark, thanks very much for taking time out from your Sunday evening when we record it here in the UK. Appreciate that as well. And Andrew Bucknall is somebody who's been uh, on before, uh, but he's very welcome back as well. So, we've got uh, those three guys on the podcast tonight. So, let's start by by I suppose. Before we talk about City and we talk about the football, we can't ignore what's going on in the world at the moment. I mean, I went along to Goodison Park yesterday and uh, I, you may or may not know if you've watched any of the, the sort of videos that I've done recently, that my father-in-law uh, was Ukrainian and uh, my wife has a sister um, who lives in Ukraine. So that is a, a conflict and, a, and a, a serious situation which is very close to my heart and to see what the players did yesterday coming out with the Ukraine flag draped around them in the case of the Everton players and the flag on the back of the City players and to see the two Ukrainian players, um, one from Everton, one from City, embracing in the middle, I can't deny, made me very emotional. I did actually start to well up when I saw that and it was great to, to see the response of the crowd too and over the PA they played, you know, he is my brother and, and all that sort of stuff and and it, and it is fantastic when when people pull together like that. So, uh, on on my own personal benefit, and I'm sure I speak for you three as well. Um, you know, we wish all the best for the people who are um, involved in the the conflicts out there uh, in Ukraine, and 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 clearly we're we're right we're right behind you. Um, so. That said, let's move on to the football. Uh, City had a tricky game over at Everton. Uh, did you get the chance to watch it, Keith? Uh, did you watch the match? Yes, I did. Uh, I watched it. Um, tight game. But I think, I think not, not so much people are... Uh, I think people's game plan now is changing against City. Um, I think the last game I went to, I think I saw you at the game room, was the, the Leicester game. When, and I've got to say, the first 30, 35 minutes of football was free-flowing, entertaining, and it was absolutely City at their best. Uh, and I think Brendan Rodgers will get uh, a lot of plaudits because his tactical change, but in my mind, 4-0 uh, down at half-time, uh, he hasn't set up and changed his game plan. He's just going to say, right, I want everybody behind the ball. We, we're not getting to him. They were 7, 8 or 9, which in the first 20 minutes, it looked like it could be. So everybody sat in uh, and... The next thing within the second half, in about 20 25 minutes of the second half, it's 4 3. I think the crowd where they everybody enjoyed and were thrilled with the first 25 30 minutes. But you could tell there was a nervousness when it got back to 4 3. It showed that there was a vulnerability of being caught on the counter attack. And I think a lot of teams now are saying, Well, we can't go and press Man City. We can't, we can't press them and we can't compete the way that they play. So we're going to have to concede possession 
Uh, and we, we've got to try and catch uh, catch them on the break. Um, so, so again, I think a lot of clubs now. Like the, the last game is not the not the um, not, not last game against Everton. The game before, that's the most crosses uh, I've seen that Man City put in the box. And the, and you, you sat there as as a football person, you sat there thinking, you ain't got centre forward while you're crossing it. But people are working them out. Not so much working that, but people are saying uh, City overloading wide areas. Uh, so now teams now are saying, well, we're not going to get overloaded in wide areas. We're going to leave the uh, leave the middle of the pitch for crossing. <laughs> City don't do it. Uh, but again, I think the best thing about Pep is he finds a way. Uh, and the, the armoury that he's got well, with the squad that he's got, he, he can change a game uh, in seconds. The last two games we've seen, though, um, the, the game against Tottenham when they lost and the game against Everton, very, very difficult, uh, different types of games. But I would suggest against Everton, Frank Lampard did send his team out to press because they closed down at every opportunity. And I've not seen a team do that against City for quite a while. It ruffled them up a little bit. It unsettled them. And eventually, of course, um, you know, they created chances too. Now, I know Phil Foden scored the goal and it all ended up OK in the end. But that presumably comes from the fact that they've watched Tottenham win and thought, you know, come on, let's have a bit of a go here. And the crowd were up for it. And is this a way that, that, that opposition can unsettle this magnificent machine, which is Manchester City? They've got a flow. Uh, City have got a flow the way they, the way they put, uh, the, way, the way they move the ball, the way they pass the ball, their rotations, uh, their interplay is phenomenal. Is uh, you know, they know where their next pass is going, which is a sign of always a sign of a good player when you know your next pass and your next move. That they're 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 very much in tune. And what you have to do is you have to you have to disrupt that. You know the easy way or the old school way of doing it was getting very close to people where, whereby you, say, you, know, you try and get so you get inside somebody's shorts and you make it feel uncomfortable for them uh, and every opportunity you get you stop the flow of the game and stop their stop their passing stop their rhythm um, or um, the other way is you sit off them uh, and again if you sit off them um that can be used as a weapon as well because the one the one thing you do then you can exploit city on the break with, with pace if, you, if you've got the right uh, right person. Oh, it isn't, it isn't bad. Every coach, every manager will see that they will play against Man City and everything in, right, right, I've got to find a weakness. And there's not many. Um, so, but you've got to buy into one. Uh, and again, depending on what the, what the, the DNA of your team is, you've got to set your team up to go and give, give them a problem. There's nothing worse than coming off the pitch and then, and then saying uh, to yourself, thinking, we didn't have a go. Then whatever your game plan is, you've got to come off and you've got to say, right, well, we've, had, we've, we've executed our game plan. Uh, if it doesn't come off, it doesn't come off. But we've had a go. There's nothing worse than going in and saying, "Oh, well, these are too good. Let's make sure it's damage limitation." Uh, and that's a sign of a manager. If you come off, you've got to be able to handle defeat. Nobody, nobody likes losing, but you set your team out to win. Um, but it's it's how you handle uh, when you do get beat and get beat by uh, by City, whether that's one nil, two nil, six nil, seven nil. It's never a disgrace. Obviously, you were a player first. I mean, I know you're a manager now, Keith, but. You were predominantly a centre-back, uh, and I said in the introduction you were a, a stylish centre-back, a fast centre-back as well. But you were also asked when you were uh, playing for England to play at right-back quite famously, and I didn't look as if you were quite as comfortable there. And we've seen John Stones being asked to play at right-back for City when he is ostensibly a centre-back as well. Is that is that a mistake by Pep, or is that just his team is so fluent that anybody can play anywhere because sometimes you do think that, don't you? I think if you have a look at uh, if you have a look at John Stones, he's a gifted gifted athlete, good footballer, got a good footballing brain, um, got different attributes. Um, uh, to, uh, definitely to Carl Walker. Uh, and listen, I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was a game for Carl Walker, and I was surprised when when uh, when John Stones line, uh, lined up at right back. But again, uh, capable before again when I played, like I said, uh, I played three times for England, but never played as a centre back. I played right back, left back, uh, and sweeper. I played uh, I played in the game. Uh, I played sweeper behind Des Walker, and it was one of those. I had nothing to do. <laughs> you know, like the, the terraces used to sing, they, they never beat, uh, they never beat Des Walker. Well, they never. <laughs> There's one of those. I was a defender, and I, 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 I'm used to defending. I'm used to engaging with players. I'm used to engaging with situations. I was backup for Des, who didn't need backup. 
Uh, let's bring in Andrew and Mark now. I mean, Andrew, what, what did you make of the uh, the performance against Everton? And where do you think City are at the moment in terms of, are they at the top of their form? Should should people be worried, City fans be worried because of the defeat against Tottenham, followed by the sort of tight game that there was against Everton? And of course, we know next up it's the Manchester derby, apart from the FA Cup, of course. Well, it's never going to be um, an easy game at Everton. Um it's historically a difficult place. We've had a lot of good results there recently. Um, the Tottenham game was just one of those games I said before, it started, I said we'd lose today. I, I had this feeling, and I think Pep's looking for that because he always says it. Obviously, don't want to lose. He never wants to lose. I don't. You, you know, we're all winners. Um, but he just wants to see the reaction. I just think maybe a bit of tiredness, but we, we'll go again. We're, you know, lost one game in three and a half months and just come through a very tough game and... I always believe, I say it every season, historically, Everton away and Newcastle away are very significant when we win the league. I'm not saying we've won it, you know, I'm not like some of us have won it in September and October, but I believe that we're just getting to our stride again. We always have a bit of a lull. If our lull is one defeat in three and a half months, it's not much, you know, FA Cup on Tuesday when others are, you know, tucked up in bed. We will we'll carry on. United will treat next week as a cup final, as they always do. You know, that's what they, they have DVDs out about beating City, but we'll dismantle them. I'll say that now. We'll dismantle them next week because we owe them big time. But I, I have no qualms. I mean, some City fans, they need to kind of calm themselves down. They get, you know, I don't really do banter sites, but I'm in a few City groups and it's just like hysterical when we possibly have a, a below-key performance. It's just like... We go again. What do we always do when we lose? We go on a charge. We've done it last last season. Last season we were at one point in thirteenth position, and we won the league. It's just like have faith in Pep all the time. That's what he said to. He said we have a bad result. The man, the owners, and you know Calhoun, everyone. You know what can we do better? It's not. He's you know he's he's never going to get sacked by City. He'll lose a few games. We can't win every game. We don't expect to, but. There's no panic, just because we might be a little bit off. But when you're as good as Manchester City, any below-par below performance is seized upon. You know, you look at the orgasmic overflow of joy last week. It's just, you know, we're pretty, we're pretty relevant to people, although they'll tell us that we're not relevant. But we know, we know what we know, and they know what they know. But they just won't admit it. There's, no, there's never any panic here. I mean, I do my reverse psychology, but I expect City to win every game because we are the best. Um, I don't think we will, but I expect every time we go out, we win because we have the players to do that. We have the manager. And sometimes teams get it right against us, but then every, t every team plays City as if it's a cup final. So they're going to raise the game. Harry Kane was going to go, this is what you could have had, but then where to Tottenham? You know, it's, only, it's almost like showing off. It's, you know, it was... Standard that he was going to have a you know score a few goals, but um, I'd rather have what we've got now than a 150 million pound striker that we don't need. When you talk about uh, negativity on forums, I'm sure Keith will have a view on this after the, the the career he's had, particularly as a as a manager since then. I don't know whether you ever look at those forums, Keith. But just before you come in on this, Andrew, um, do you feel that, that on these forums it, it's very much youth that are, that are, have this sort of uh, over, over the top reaction when something goes wrong because I've certainly noticed in the away end at City games that the average age of fans has massively dropped since COVID. I mean, the, the away end now is full of young fans. I'm not saying that's good or bad. I'm just observing it as a fact. It's a lot noisier. It's a lot more boisterous. Um, there's a lot more uh, sort of tension in that in that away end. Pep loves it, loves the extra noise, but those young fans are also the ones that go to games now expecting to win. Um, and if they don't win, might be the ones, and that's what I'm asking you, Andrew, might be the ones that are then a more uh, extreme in their reaction to a, a negative result. Is, is that what's going on? Well, to be honest, I, I think it's a lot of people who should know better. It's not so much the young guns, it's, it's the older ones who... You know, we don't always have to refer to York City away or this, that and the other because that's happened, but it's not relevant to now. But there are fans of my age, my generation, who overreact. It's it's like, I will avoid the... I don't post in them, I read comments and stuff, and you'll see comments all the time. And I just think, 
just get a grip. They, they just, it's an overreaction. I mean, it's slightly off topic, but I was in a debate with someone the other week about Raheem Sterling. They're saying they hate him. I don't get it. I absolutely hate him. And I'm like, hate? I've never hated a City player ever. You know, we've seen some good, bad and indifferent ones, but I don't get that. But there's a lot of negativity. They'll say, oh, he doesn't score one-on-ones. Yeah, there's this 12 and 18 games and there's a lot of negativity surrounding. I don't know. I actually said some people, I think, prefer City not to be winning because it gives them just something to moan about. But no, I don't think the young, I think the young guns, are, you know, they're our future, the sounds, you know. And uh, maybe that's why the atmosphere is so boisterous because they've got more energy. But I still think away games are much better. But the forums, it's, it's not a lot of people, but you're drawn to the ones... Obviously, the negative comments will get more of a reaction. So people kind of jump on them. And I don't get it. It's like, we're not going to win everything every season. All I've ever wanted for our club is to compete. And that's what we're doing. We're not going to go away, as some clubs would like us, because they're not good enough to have consistent rivals. You know, they've done it, you know, heard it from them across the road, who don't like us being as good as we are. But I'll say again, Manchester City have raised the standard of the men and the women's game absolutely right across the board with our investment. You know, England getting to a final and a semi-final. Did that ever happen under Liverpool's domination or United? No, it didn't. You know, it's all part of us not being recognised as what we are. But the negative, negative side of people, I just think some people are naturally pessimistic. And it shouldn't be because we should be optimistic with City fans, the eternal optimist. We've been, you know, I'm referencing old times again, and I just said I won't, but I just, you know, I just think this is the best time of our lives when people are moaning. I mean, I always say be post-match initial passionate, but then be objective because we're not, we're not really doing anything wrong. Mark, let's bring you in at this point. Uh, you've sat patiently listening. So um, what would you like to contribute? You've heard quite a bit from Keith and from Andrew and from me. Yeah. Um, what would you like to add to the debate? You know, it, it's fascinating to hear like other people's intake on uh, the day-to-day stuff regarding um, people following online, people's opinion about games and stuff like that. But like to reiterate what Andrew said, um, we have to enjoy these times as we are. Like y- yesterday... You know, we won 1-0 and the only thing that matters was the three points. You know, sometimes it's impossible to get the ball down and play your way through teams because you're going to get harassed. You're going to have to go, you're going to have to compete before you can do your bit and stuff like that. But 1-0 is as good as 5-0 for me. Yeah, it's impossible to score five and six games, but like the man in charge is the ultimate perfectionist. Is the ultimate perfection. If, if if you're not performing in training, you'll be sat next to him. If you're not betro- if you're not performing on the pitch, you'll be sat next to him on the game and stuff like that. He's got he's got a squad. I think we mentioned about John Stones playing right back. If you're good enough, you can play anywhere. You know, it's 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 as sim- it's as simple as that. Look at the left back. He's a right back. Look at Zinchenko. He's a midfielder who's playing left back. You know, Phil Foden, centre forward. Bernardo Silva, centre-forward. They're not centre-forwards, but you have to do that to play for his team. And I just think what we are currently watching at the moment, not just this season, the past three or four seasons, it, it's it's different class. You know, it's different class. But yesterday, them kind of games are just as important to me. A 1-0 is just as important as a 5-0 because, like Andrew said, you go to Goodison Park, they're going to be in your face. You get the ball down, you take an extra touch, you're getting closed down. You know, you have to match the physicality. And then the majority of the teams in the Premier League, we have got better technical players than them. And hopefully the quality will come through. But if the effort isn't there, you ain't going to win games. And like uh, the Spurs game last week, I think, not just as a a defence, I just think as a team defensively, we switched off. And, you know, it's very rare we can say that under Pep defensively, especially since Ruben Diaz come in. You know, it's very rare we've switched off, but I just think last week you blink against these top players and the ball's in the back of your net. And, but unfortunately, it happened last week, but it doesn't happen very much. But for me, you know, I, I, I can't complain about anything. You've not, got, you've not got a divine right to win a game of football. You have to earn the right to win it. And 99% of the time, we earn the right to win it. If we don't, 
you've got to roll with it, move on and go again the next game. But for me, I can't complain about anything. Me neither. I mean, no. Keith, you've got a, a great insight into this because you've been a player. And presumably when you were a player, it was all tunnel vision. It was just do your job. I mean, you correct me if I'm wrong. And then you become a manager and you look at the whole thing completely differently. Was that a big eye opener for when, when you made that transition from being a player to a manager? Um, yes, but I, um, I went into it probably, I started coaching when I was 21 years old. Um, I was at Bristol City, so I when I am coaching when I was 21, just got into the, when I, uh, I've been bought then uh, from Torquay, um, and I, I used to take the, the clubs under 16s on a Sunday. So play, play, on, play on a Saturday, uh, take the under 16s uh, on a Sunday, training through the week on a Tuesday, on a Tuesday and Thursday if, if we didn't have a game. So I always had one eye uh, on coaching and understanding the, the finer aspects of the uh, of the game. And I wanted to understand fully what, when as I progressed my career, what the coaches were saying. And again, I've had some very good coaches uh, in my time. And, and the best thing you can ask to a coach is, is asking them questions. I remember Colin Lee was, uh, was exceptional. Um, he, uh, he brought me from Manchester. City uh, to Wolves. Loved him as a coach because his insight into the game and how he uh, and individual uh, aspects of my game that he still seen it as, saw room for improvement. And I, I think I was 34, 35 when I went there. But and again, so uh, the, that side that side of the game has always intrigued me. Um, then and, and that's probably the, the coaching side of it because I went down to uh, Crystal Palace and, Q, and QPR with Work. Uh, and I love my time as the uh, the first team coach, stroke, stroke assistant manager, and all I had to focus on was football and the op and the opposition, but mainly ourselves. Uh, then the, 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 the progression in, in the management then it, it encompasses everything. And the biggest thing for me is if you're going to be a manager, it's the environment that you that you want to work in, and then you then it's about recruitment. You create the environment, we get get your recruitment right, then you've got a chance. And then it's about the understanding and know-how of how to win a game. Everybody would like to win a game the way Man City play um, because it's, uh, I say, it is fluid and it's pretty on the eye and it, it, it's effective. But you go down League One, League Two, um, and you're uh, you're not going to be rolling a ball around in your 18-yard box, inviting the press on because players aren't good enough. The players lose confidence quicker when you make a mistake. Um, unless you get given the time, uh, you know, if, you get, if you get given a three, four year contract, they're different. But, you know, I think the, the average lifespan of a manager now is, is one week, 12 days. So, so you think like you need to get results very quickly. Uh, so you go in, you find a way, you find out what's in your changing room uh, and you adapt uh, different styles, different, uh, different, different theories, to, uh, mainly to get results. And again, probably the jobs that I've had. I've always had to go in, um, not because the team's doing very well and somebody's post the managers, usually because results have been going in the wrong way. The club's on a slide and uh, they want to change the fortunes of the football club uh, and they want to go in another direction, which means you have to go in and pick up a club that's going in the, uh, going the, the wrong direction. And then, then, then it's about the principles of how not to get beat and how to win a game of football. And then well, as you, the longer you're there, then you can, then you can develop a style of play. Well, obviously, this is a City podcast and principally we're going to talk about City, but I might as well ask you quickly then about your time at, at Oldham Athletic. Andrew mentioned about forums and all the rest of it. When you were at Oldham, um, were you aware of the conflict between supporters? Because it's not unique to Oldham, it's not unique to City, it's not unique to anybody. You will always have outspoken fans being very, very critical, no doubt, of whoever the manager is. Do you block yourself off from that? Will Pep, do you think, have any concern or any awareness of any type of criticism? So when you hear fans saying uh, he got it wrong against Chelsea in the Champions League final last season because he didn't play a defensive midfielder, would Pep, if, would you, if you were the manager, be really aware of that? And were you aware of it when you were in that position at Oldham Athletic or, or other jobs that you've had? Slightly different contrast. As a manager, are you aware if you get beat, you're going to be open for criticism? Yeah. Slightly different to the Oldham situation because uh, I walked in on a situation where there was, um, um, I say hatred, that's a strong word. There, there, there was, um, I think the right word there is not going to come across. Uh, there was major concerns about the ownership of the football club and the direction the football club was coming in by the supporters um, uh, of, uh, of Oldham. Um, 
they'd seen, I think it was seven or eight changes, uh, and they'd seen a, f- a football club declining in league status, uh, declining in the, the quality that was being brought into the football club uh, over uh, over a number of years, and the football club was was going um, in the wrong direction. Um, can, can you empathise, sympathise uh, with those supporters? And again, a, a lot of the things that they said, um, you could understand their frustration uh, and their disbelief in how their football club was being run. Uh, but ultimately, you're going in there because you, you, you want to uh, give them uh, an opportunity for a, a game of football on a Saturday afternoon where you see the players giving everything you've got to get a result and get a point. Can you be, have you got time to be a politician and speak to every single fan? No. Yeah. I think when, when I first went in there, uh, the one first thing I tried to do was to say, look, uh, if you want to speak to me, I'm here. Uh, if anyone's got any questions, if anybody wants to know how I manage, what I do, what my decision-making process is, I'll speak to everybody and anybody. I don't shy away from the decisions that, uh, that I make. Uh, did I want to get embroiled and be a politician regarding uh, not so much defending uh, defending the owners, uh, the owners or, the, or the ownership, but, 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 but that is part and parcel of your job as well, to try and deflect it away from the terraces and get the focus on the, from the terraces onto the pitch and back in the team and, uh, and getting, behind the, uh, getting behind the results. <laughs> which is difficult when results aren't going well. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, well, another other question I was going to ask you before I bring the two lads back in again is one of the criticisms that's been made of Pep by outsiders, not so much by City fans, is would he be able to do it at League One and League Two level? Now, I just wonder what you think, you know, as, as a manager who's been involved at that level, um, is it is Pep's success? Because he even seems to suggest that in his own press conferences, without the players, I couldn't do it. Do you think his style of football and the way that he manages and the, and the, the way he sets his team out, even with lesser players in leagues one and two or some other division, do you still think he'd be what I certainly regard as the coaching genius that he is? Again, Pep's got a great understanding uh, of how to win games with the players that he's got. Uh, and again, I'm sure with the ability that he'd have, he would walk into a changing room, identify strengths and weaknesses within players and come up with a plan uh, to see that football team winning games. And again, would it be the silky, uh, the silky football that, uh, that you're seeing now? Uh, no, it wouldn't. But do, do I think that he breeds uh, and he's got a winning mentality? And again, but he's, he's also got an eye of uh, spotting weaknesses in, in the opposition. And, and again, but you've got to understand and he will understand what he's got in his changing room. And again, uh, I don't know, how long's Pep been there now? This is six years now, this season. So he's a, uh, I will say, look, management's like when, when you go into a job, it's like, yeah, and then you, yeah, that's your start of your jigsaw puzzle. Yeah, and then, but the first thing you've got to do is you've got to shape the box and you've got to get all the edge pieces out. Once you get the edge piece out, that's your framework. To, uh, anyway, some people are different. Some people just uh, just try and put pieces together that, that look right. Uh, other, the way I do it is how I do a jigsaw puzzle is I get all the edge pieces out first of all. Then I put the edges together, four corners, dead uh, dead simple. Uh, then I find a thread or something like a color map that is right. Then I then I work that way. And and, and that's what building a team is, is like doing a jigsaw puzzle. If, if you've been doing it six years it's very easy then because you put in one one or two pieces in Uh, when you go in and just get someone to shake hands a box and you're like wow you can pick up some pieces look very interesting but ultimately you don't need them at that particular time I just wonder what you think Andrew I mean is is Pep a a manager you think could cut it at any in any division with any group of players because of his his skill set it's a funny I, I mean I don't even know why people well People hate Pep because he's Manchester City's manager. He is a genius, as you say, as everybody can see. They would every one of these clubs that say he's a checkbook manager would love Pep at their club. Absolutely nailed on. They would swap him in a heartbeat. You saw all the talk before he came to City about oh yeah, Ferguson lined him up, told him to get in touch as soon as he'd finished his break. Um, but why should Pep manage in Division One? He's a Premier League manager. He's one of the best in the world. No disrespect to other divisions or to Keith or to anyone else. But why should he have to prove himself? He's proven himself time and time again in supposedly the best league or three of the best leagues in the world. And of course, the better players you have, the more likely they are to get off success. You know, they'll say it with Ferguson, say, oh, well, he did it with Aberdeen against the big two in Scotland. But in England, I'll say it again, he, he didn't have much of a challenge. He had pretty much a free hit, 13 titles out of 20. It's quite, a, you know, as somebody famously said, he was avoiding me. You might as well be Celtic. 
it's it's ludicrous that people question Pep. I mean, we could, again question his decisions playing defensive midfielders game to game, but overall, let's say it's, it's like saying would Bernardo Silva cut it in League One? Well, probably, but get kicked all over the place. So it, it's like why should he have to prove himself at lower division? You know, Pep's the best in the business, so he should be at the best league at the highest position, which is where we are. Is it the best club? in the world as far as I'm concerned, the best managed club, the best run club, best fans, most of them. Um, yeah, so he's where he needs to be. You know, everybody looks to better themselves. So it's like, you know, he's overqualified to do certain jobs. And if the players could, you know, it's, if the players could do what Pep asked, I mean, when he first came, we had Zabba and, um, he couldn't do the things that Pep wanted. He wanted more mobile defenders, you know, younger ones. You know, it was funny in his first season, everyone was saying, oh, City needs to sort the defence out. City needs to sort the defence out. And then when we did, we had Mourinho complaining about us buying fullbacks. It's like, well, this is what you said. You know, it's like, we can't win no matter what, no matter how much we win, we can never win because we'll never get the credit. I always reference Joe Jackson being different for girls in Manchester City. It is. It's like today, the League Cup will now be a massive trophy again. It's been irrelevant for the last four seasons when we've won it. It was massive when United won it. It'll be massive again for Liverpool. But we know that. That's why people like me take the fight to all the haters. I enjoy it. I love it. I love the hate. And it, it spurs me on because I know we're better than them at what we do. And um, yeah, Pep. Pep doesn't have to prove himself. You know, people talk about we'll never win the Champions League. Well, these, the club in particular that you know I'm talking about, their last two Champions League finals, what happened to them? Pep schooled Ferguson twice and once at Wembley. But nobody talks about that. It's always like, you'll never win a Champions League. Well, we will. But instead of them always saying, Pep can't do this, can't do it without Messi, this, that, and the other, when are they going to start winning leagues and Champions League without Ferguson? You know what I mean? He's won loads and people still question him, but Klopp's, what is that, his second English trophy? in a longer time than Pep. We've won more in one season. And he still won't get the credit because Liverpool don't spend money, do they? This TARDIS like Coutinho money that seems never ending. They've got like, is that Cater, 50, 60 million pounds substitute. Why, is, why does he never get mentioned during commentary with Liverpool, you know, their bench? The other week, laughable. I think it was Andy Townsend said we had a 900 million pound bench. Well, we didn't. We had a, Jack Grealish, Scott Carson, um, and a load of academy players. I think there's somebody else who cost us a bit more. But it's, it'll all, there'll always be a negative slant regarding City. We'll never get the credit. I mean, today, watching our women, I don't know if they do it on purpose, but they kept saying that United had gone through. United had gone through. It's like, there's a mis- it's not right. It's not just, I don't believe, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I don't believe that they can make so many mistakes so many times. It's, to me, it's pretty obvious that they're just trying to downplay Manchester's achievements, always. We'll never get the credit. I'll look at those trophies and just say, I was there, I enjoyed it. And people say, sick fans don't know how to enjoy success. Well, you want to come to a football game with me? <laughs> you know, it's a nonsense. It's almost like they have to keep putting us down, but they can't because we're bigger than them. They'll always say stuff like this, you know, you, you know, a little pat on your head, just win one league and get off again and go and be rubbish. But we're here for the long, you know, long term. Um, we couldn't be better. I've said it before. We couldn't be better than what we are now. I mean, I don't think about when Pep leaves because I believe our last three managers have won the league. It will be different. They might be low, but I'm not thinking, I think Pep will be here for another 10 years, to be honest. So I can't see where he would go, what he'd do, unless he just finishes with football altogether. There's no better place to be than Manchester. He, he loves it here. He absolutely loves it here. And that will upset a lot of people, but it should make us feel joyous because I'll see him easy doing 10 years at City, without a doubt. I mean, he's in like six years now, so the longest he stayed, you know, we went to Bayern Munich and Barcelona, supposedly massive clubs, and he's at City in the fields at home. The greatest manager's ever been. If you like what Andrew says, by the way, check him out on Facebook because he always does fight the fight. And that subject that you just brought up there, Andrew, about 
you know the media and and the, the perception of city, which is something I talked to Ned and Manure about Ned and about on a previous podcast, and he he felt a bit like you do really. Keith, you, you were a City player, but obviously I know you, you didn't grow up in the Manchester area and you've played for other clubs and you've managed other clubs. So you can perhaps have that little bit of objectivity. You have a connection to City. Do you think City are treated fairly in the in the media? I think that's just the... It comes with the territory of being a winner. Um, people, you open when, when you win, you're open for criticism. Uh, and when you consistently win, you're open for consistent criticism. Uh, and again, but I think if you watch how Pep deals with it, I think uh, Pep's mannerisms, he knows that everybody wants to beat City, but he enjoys that. And th but then he's instilled that into his squad of, of being winners. And so like, you have to turn up. If you, pay, if you play for Pep, you have to turn up as a, as a player. You have to perform. Uh, again, and I think that's... And that's about creating that environment, creating that culture, which I think he's done exceptionally well because, you know, City don't rest on their laurels, they go out and you don't just turn up and play well. You have to work at that through the week. And again, you can tell he's a manager that coaches and he wants to coach. He's in the training ground and he watches every step of every single player and he will, he, will, he, will, uh, he will backtrack players to get every single step right because it, uh, he's got a, a methodology of how he wants the game played and players have to be in the right place. The timing of their runs have to be right. It doesn't just happen and I think that's credit to it. And, that, and that's why they're winning games. And that, but that, that comes from the winning mentality, the culture and the recruitment. Uh, and they, if you get all those right, um, you, you carry on winning. You spoke before about coaching and, and obviously coaching, I know I can tell, is a passion of yours, no question. But part of the role of being a manager is not just coaching, is it? It's about, it's about doing press conferences. It's about doing stuff like that. Now, you might not watch all the press conferences that Pep does like I do. I sit and watch every minute of every press conference he does before every game. And I hear questions coming from different types of journalists. Some of them might be seen as negative questions. Some of them might be seen as soft questions but you've had to deal with that whatever club you've been at you will look at that group of journalists however big it is it might be five or ten at a smaller club it might be 30 or 40 at a bigger club but you probably are ready for every type of question that comes your way how do you handle it Keith and I mean because I've heard City fans saying things like you know that journalist because they asks that type of question or she asks that type of question shouldn't be allowed in a press conference do you think that as well? Do you think that certain people asking certain types of questions should be banned? Or are you confident enough, with whether it be with a press officer or just in your own ability, to be able to deal with whatever's thrown at you? Um, I think you have to be... Uh, you can't be protected. Uh, and again, I've always said, uh, luckily, where I've always been, the press officers, uh, excellent. People like Andy Hall uh, and Gareth at, at Northampton, Andy Hall up, uh, up at Carlisle, where again I knew I was walking into environments where very hostile. Um, so they, they give you the heads up, they tell you what questions you're going to be uh, expecting the the local press. But uh, again, I've got a lot of respect for the local press because they have to ask the difficult questions. And what I've always said to, to every reporter, don't be scared about asking whatever question you want to ask. Uh, the answer you get may not be the one that you want. And it may, I might not even answer the question directly. And I'll probably talk for about 10, 15 minutes. And by the time you've even got the question that you asked anyway. Um, <laughs> and and it, it's just a case of, yeah, I know it's, they've got a job to do and they've got to ask difficult questions. Uh, but you, you answer them honestly and you don't shy away from difficult questions. Um, and then like there's nothing worse. I remember when we went to Accrington Stanley. Uh, and uh, my team never turned up, and, and I mean, uh, well, uh, didn't lay a, didn't lay a stud on anybody. We were second chap with challenges all all over the park, we, uh, and I think we ended up getting beat uh, two, uh, two one two, two one or, uh, or three one. Uh, but it hurt me. Uh, because we didn't compete, and then the first question you get uh, uh, from the from the reporter, and you could tell just by my mannerisms that I was unhappy. He goes, "Well, uh, I don't think you're happy with that, Keith." And then I went into a rant for about 10, 12, 15 minutes, and explaining to them why I wasn't happy because the players, in my opinion, uh, they, they hadn't represented me, they hadn't represented the football club, and they hadn't uh, they hadn't delivered what they'd been. Uh, talked about, coached all through the week. And that's, where, that's all you want players to do is do what you're being asked to do and what they've been repeatedly doing through the week. And, where, and then if it doesn't go your way, um, you have to accept it. But when, play, when you see players 
shine out of challenges, not putting the foot in, not doing the extra yards, then again, I'm a passionate person. I, uh, I want my players to play with passion as well. And I can handle being beat. I can handle if results go the wrong way, but uh, you've got to give it a go. Pep seems to have made a decision never to criticise his players in public. Is that something you did? Um, in, in, in the past, if, if a player's done something on a football pitch um, that's warranted criticism, um, I, I don't shy away from it. Um, it's because everybody's there watching. I'm, I'm not going to sugarcoat it and say, oh, no, uh, that's been misinterpreted. If, if, uh, if a player hasn't performed or a player's made some silly decisions on the football pitch, I don't shy away from telling people, yeah, I'm not happy with that. Uh, but again, the first person I would have told would have been I would, the player would have known uh, before. And I think that's always important. Anything you're going to say in the public domain, make sure you said it to the players exactly how you're going to say it in the public domain, because then there can be no complaints. And that's the honesty and the relationship you have to have with your players as well. If a player goes out and doesn't play well and he makes a silly mistake, well, I'm, uh, you're not going to lambast him for it because well, the game is riddled with mistakes uh, and you have to accept it. Have to accept it but um, there's some mistakes that players have made and you're thinking, wow, <laughs> where did I, I don't coach that. Um, and again, sometimes you, you, you have to say that. Players, but the player that they, they didn't do what he was asked to do. Where do you stand on this, Mark? I mean, when you, you must listen to press conferences, whether it be an actual press conference or just a post-match interview or something yeah. like that. And you, you must have heard, and I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but you must have heard uh, somebody ask a question. You thought, why have they asked that? They shouldn't have been allowed to ask that. And then you've heard the answer from Pep or it might be a player or something like that. Does, that. does it annoy you when that happens? Do you instinctively think they should be banned or they shouldn't be there? Or do you take the philosophy that Keith has, which is, you know, I'll just deal with whatever's thrown at me and, and, and that's the way, the way it is? I, th I, think, I think first and foremost, um, you know, we have to understand, like, emotions are still high, adrenaline's still pumping after a game, whether you're victorious or whether you've, you've been beat. And then to be put in front of a camera... 20, 30 minutes after a game, you know, it's really, really difficult um, to keep your emotions in check. And it's easier when you're winning games. But say for argument's sake, if you was on the wrong end of a VAR decision or the referees made a mistake and it's cost you points, you know, and to be put in front of a camera so soon after that, it must be really, really difficult to keep your emotions in check. But, you know... Be, be, being a manager, it's not just about winning points. It, it's about being there for your team. And like Keith said, if and when you're going to call someone out, you know, the, the, they'd have to be method in your badness, whether you're going to do it then or whether you're going to do it later or whether you're going to praise someone in front of a camera. You know, but like first and foremost, you have to be on side with your team. But to be put in front of a camera so soon, you know, it's difficult. I'm going to assume at that level you're going to need some form of like education stroke training because it must be difficult because you you could lose your emotions really, really easily. And then eventually that could eventually cost you your job. You know, it must be really, really difficult. I'll tell you this story, which I may have told before, but I was interviewing Kevin Keegan after a, a City game at Walsall. Um, City had drawn nil-nil. The fact that Andrew's nodding means he might have heard this story before, so I'm sorry for, for telling the same story again, but I'm stood there and I'm leading the interview and uh, and I say to Kevin Keegan, and it was, by the way, not a very good game, it was, you know, a poor game, so I, my opening gambit, and I shouldn't have said it like this, I guess, never, asked, never do a closed question and never be negative, but I said, well, that wasn't very good, Kevin, was it? And he went, what? And, and by the way, I love Kevin Keegan getting really, really well with Kevin and I've talked to him about this. But he, he said to me, um, where did you watch this game from? Go on, show me. There's like this 15 press around me. Where were you sat? And we stood in the tunnel near the near the mouth of the tunnel. So I went, well, I'm just up there. Go on, show me. Where were you sat? What was your actual seat? Where did you watch this game from? So I took him. And virtually to the seat, with everybody following me around, I was, that was that was a seat over there. That was a seat I sat in. So he said, and you don't think that was very good? I think we should start this interview again, don't you? We should start this interview again. So I went, OK, Kevin, no problem. So we walked back to the mouth of the tunnel and I go, so then I'd do the open question, which is what I should have done. And I went, so what's your assessment of that game, Kevin? And he looked me straight in the eye and he says, wasn't very good that was it but he didn't do it with a laugh he didn't do it with a laugh he did it with a dead straight face and then went into sort of a five minutes of why it wasn't very good and then I just thought 
Right, that taught me a lesson, didn't it? <laughs> but you've got to be able to stand up to people and, you know, believe in yourself. Let, let me, I want to come back at the end of the podcast and talk about the derby. I know that there's the game against Peterborough in the FA Cup on Tuesday, but the derby is such a big game. I'll talk about that in a minute. But if you don't mind, I just want to ask you a few questions, Keith, about your time at City. Um, you, you were a, a multi-million pound signing, not quite the hundred million pound of, of uh, Jack Grealish. I think it was two and a half million, was it? Something like that. When yeah. you came from, from uh, Wimbledon and Terry Phelan was there about, came about the same time. And, and that, that was a lot of money at the time. What, what do you remember? I, what, what persuaded you to, to sign for City in the first place? I think, well, Philo came a year after me, uh, but we, we played together at, the, at Wimbledon. Um, the, I knew about the interest of City for about six months. Um, City's first approach was six months earlier. Uh, I had a, a fallout with Wimbledon um, because, uh, in my opinion, uh, they bought me for half a million quid. I think they'd been offered. Uh, I think the first offer from City was well, was something like one point one point seven, one point eight, and I thought, yeah, well, I've been there two and a half years. Playing, uh, playing, uh, playing for Wimbledon in front of small crowds, but I've, I've got to say I've really enjoyed my time at Wimbledon. I think the first year we went there, we, uh, my first season uh, in, in the first division as it was then, you know, we finished a top London club, you know, again, so above Arsenal, Chelsea, Tottenham, we, uh, little Wimbledon finished a top London club, but then. I always I played against Man City before, been the main road, uh, and there was an attraction there with, with Peter Reed, Peter Reed, Sam Ellis, uh, and some of the players that they had there. Uh, I saw that as my immediate step, uh, and I, I, as soon as I heard of the interest, I wanted to go. Um, uh, Wimbledon, whether it was negotiations, a, a bigger price, uh, they said no. I had meetings with the chairman, meeting with the manager, and I just thought you're standing in my way. Uh, I had a young family at the time now, uh, and I, I just said. I, I've got an opportunity to go to Man City. You've got to let me go. And they said, "Well, we can't let you go until we get the price that we want." And I said, "Well, well what do you want?" The uh, Sam Romano, who was the chairman at the time, said, "We, well, uh, we value you at three million quid." I said, "Well, if you value me at three million quid, why are you only paying me this?" <laughs> and he's like, "Because hey, hey, and everybody that went to Wimbledon, we're, we're, uh, even though it was first division, we were on peanuts because uh, Bobby Gould, who was a manager at the time, he had an eye for, for sporting talent, uh, an eye for sporting potential talent uh, that had hunger that could, that, that could go on and progress. Um, and, and fair play for Bobby uh, for that because it's, it's not easy sometimes being successful um, on and not being able to go out and compete." Uh, with, your, uh, with your recruitment so then you have to look for the different avenues and you wanted hungry players um, and then, uh, so then when I, as soon as I heard of the interest then uh, going, to, uh, going to Man City I spoke to uh, spoke to my agent uh, who happened to be uh, he, had a, he had a relationship with somebody else uh, up at City as well so I was kept up to date in there and again every month it was getting closer getting closer getting closer um, but I say I had fantastic times at Wimbledon but I knew uh, my future was going to be at Man City. And you know, I've got to say, it, it, was, it was my big move and I couldn't wait for it to happen. Did you enjoy your time at City? I mean, you know, it could have been, um, you know, a big disappointment. It could have been, I mean, you, you played 100, and, according to what I can, I'm reading here, 170 odd games for, for City. I, I saw every minute of every game you played because I'm that type of fan who's been going home and away. And as I described you as a, as you know, one of the, the great players, and you actually played more for City than any other club. Do, do you look back on that as a, as a happy time, as as the the peak of your career, or do you do you look at something else as being your, your big highlight in your career? Well, again, I think well, I think the obvious highlight uh, as a professional is representing your country. Um, but then at club level, yeah, the time is. I mean, probably uh, I went up there. I was uh, I was offered a five year contract. Uh, I failed me medical. Uh, I'm, I'm, so I went up there. So all, all the negotiations have been, have been done. The, the final thing was I needed to pass my medical or have a medical. So I had my medical. So I've gone back to the hotel and everything. Like that. And then next, I got a phone call from Roy Bailey, the physio at the time. There, he said, "Look, kid, you got a problem. You failed your medical." And I'm like, uh, "How can I fail my medical?" He said, uh, "You're right. You've got an arthritic right knee." I said, "I've had an arthritic right knee since I was 18." I said, "Check the last three years." So you know, in the last three years, uh, I think uh, I've missed four games in three years, never missed a training session, all my medical records, I never missed a training session. Um, 
the, the I told them that they, uh, they understood that they got the medical, re medical, re medical, medical re record sent up, but then I had to go down and see uh, a Harley Street uh, specialist. Um, so I obviously agreed to go down, went down with, uh, with Roy Bailey. Uh, it took us about six and a half hours in a car because we got stuck in traffic. And I've got to tell you, that has got to be the worst six and a half hours of my life when you're thinking you've got an opportunity of a life-changing move um, that's going to propel you and put you on a platform that you want to be on and you want to perform at. Uh, and I got stuck in traffic. So we went down there, uh, had scans, had an x-ray. The specialist called me into the room. Uh, he's picked up this x-ray of me knee. Uh, and the first thing he said, and you know you're outside, you've got that ant anticipation, you know what's coming, it's going to be, uh, uh, he's going to pass you, he's going to fail you, and it's one of these, and that's going to get knocked on back to the football club, and the first thing you come in, is he calls you into the room, he says, look, look, take a seat, walks over, and puts, up, uh, puts your x-ray on this big screen, and he said, that's a tatty knee. Uh, he said, but um, every knee is different. Because uh, there can be some of these that could not look anything uh, look damaged or worn or torn or anything like that, and somebody may have to give up their career and not be able to kick a ball again. Uh, so on, on my previous playing record over the last three years, uh, he passed me on that. Yeah, I, I couldn't bend me. I couldn't. I didn't have full flexion or uh, I couldn't bend my leg um, uh, as other people or as I can my left leg. But. Uh, that's that happened from an operation when I was 18 when it was an old school cartilage uh, operation where they they, they completely opened up it wasn't done by Mark so I had scar tissue and everything like that but again no, um, never I never miss games I never uh, I never miss training so that's How's your knee now by the way um, it's my, I can play golf and I can do what I need to do uh, I've been told I, I've been told I need to have a I, I would benefit from a complete knee replacement but um, I'm not going to have one done. I've been told I need a, a hip replacement because I've got bone on bone on my hip, but I won't have it done yet. I think there's other, I think there's other ways, there's other ways forward. I think I can switch the pain off uh, and adapt my body and send the pain signal somewhere else, uh, and I'll be all right. But that's just me. I'm, 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 quite, I'm quite stubborn with that. What's your happiest memory of City, Keith? If you had to pick one thing out, um, probably uh, making me debut. Um, it, because it was a feeling of arriving. Because like uh, you see, City, you know, I saw City as um, a massive football club, and then being uh, being honoured by giving uh, the captaincy, and then making me debut as captain uh, was a phenomenal moment. And I, I can still say it now when you walk out uh, at Main Road um, and at Blue Moon. It's one you've heard about it. You've heard it when you've been an opposition player when you're going up there. But when you're walking out as captain, um, it, it was unbelievable. It would have made the hairs on the back of my neck stand up if that had been me. I can I can assure you. <laughs> and you obviously still got affection for City, haven't you? Yeah, so the first result I look for. Again, I've been, I've been very lucky that I've been invited to a few games, uh, and I've got to say the, the hospitality. The, the football club has changed massively, uh, and where they're at now uh, is um, not, not so much night and day, but, but um, they do it right. Uh, they know how to look after you. They know how to treat you. And again, they've got a lot of time and a lot of respect for, for, for players, and they've got um, a good relationship with with players that have given everything. Uh, for the football club, uh, and they reward them well by, by, by uh, with the hospitality you know, on the city square and everything. Like that. Uh, they reckon I can still go to Manchester now, and I still because my son, my son and my daughter and my grandchildren, uh, grandchildren still live uh, still live in Manchester, and I still go over there. And, and again, you still get the shout of uh, Curly Whirly, uh, and I've got to say, uh, I love it. It's that uh, that recognition. Uh, I still get. I don't get. I've, I've been very lucky, I suppose. Uh, I've never really been in a situation where I've got abused by Man United fans. Um, and again, I know you touched on it earlier about going out with the, uh, talking about the derby. But when I first went to, uh, when I first went to Manchester, uh, uh, my wife at the time then found a house uh, and then so made an offer on the house, moved into the house and everything like that. And it wasn't until like, a day afterwards, the, the one of the neighbours told me that Mark Hughes uh, lived at the end of the road. And I was like, oh my life, that's going to that's going to be fun, isn't it? Um, living next door to Sparky. Luckily, within about a year or so, Sparky moved out. So Sparky moved and built his own house, and he did move around the corner. But uh, I guess we moved into Sparky's house and rented it. Eric Cantona. <laughs> <laughs> that's one of the times. But again, uh, Eric never really never really socialised with Eric. Um, 
uh, the, the missuses and the, and the kids and everything that congregate and it's probably the, uh, on a regular basis City used to beat uh, Man United uh, uh, under eight and under nine level uh, with, with, uh, with Thomas my lad uh, playing in the back garden and against the uh, uh, Mark's kids uh, and, uh, and Eric's lads. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, great to reminisce and uh, I'm sure the other two have, and anybody listening will have enjoyed that. Uh, I'll come back to you at the end on this final subject, Keith. Let me ask about the derby then. Um, as I said, there's Peter before the derby, but the derby is the derby, isn't it? I mean, you can't beat a Manchester derby. City won Old Trafford earlier in the season. Uh, let's start with Mark this time and say, how are you feeling? I mean, you know, the last two league games have been defeat to Tottenham and, and uh, the narrow uh, victory against Everton. Are you feeling up for it? Are you feeling confident? Does it feel like a crunch game against United in the title race? When you're up, when, when you're first in, in the Premier League table, every game's a crunch game. You're there to be shot at, but with our local rivals, it, it it's it's like we can't really afford any more room for error after the Spurs game. But for me, I try, I gave up a long time ago and tried to call them. Just expect the unexpected. Uh, I think the De Bruyne's, the Foldens, the Maras of this world, they, that, that, that's that's why the big name players, because they do it on the big game front. For me, I wouldn't say a comfortable win because I wouldn't want to have egg on my face, but when you're Premier League champions, if you're not confident as a fan, there's something wrong. But for me, I'll always hope for the best. Looking from the outside and trying to be neutral and trying to be a bit journalistic about it, I don't know what to expect from United. You know, no. they draw against Watford nil-nil yeah. one week. Uh, they didn't, uh, by all accounts, play particularly well against Atletico Madrid, but came away with a draw. Yeah. You know, they've had one or two good results as well. They've This is at the beginning of three big games for them. I know they've got Liverpool coming up as well. They're going to be massively motivated to, to win at the Etihad, yeah. aren't they? For, for, for sure, um, like Cristiano, um, like as, as good as he's been um, and as good as he still is, I just think, in, in my opinion, Mother Nature has is, is been knocking on the door this season for him. Um, and the stuff that they play, it's good. But when they get to the final third, they seem to be wanting a, a little bit, in, in my opinion. But again, if they come to the Etihad, again, the roles have been reversed now. It, it's more of a cup final for them. For years ago, back in the day, it was a cup final for us. You know, we used to celebrate just as much when United dropped points as we did winning. But like now, the rules seem to reverse. But for me, you know, if we get another three points, I don't care. Like I said before, I don't care if it's 1-0, 4-0, 5-0. All I'm happy with is three points. But is Andrew, it? you're confident, aren't you? <laughs> um, yeah, I'm confident. But United will treat this as a, this their biggest game of the season. They'll tell us they'll get the tummies tickled by Liverpool. Guarantee it. But this will be their biggest game of the season. And um, yeah, it's it's their cup. It is like Mark said. It's their cup final. Make no mistake about it. They're not they're not in anything to win it. Beating City is all that matters to them now. I mean, last week I had a mate phone me up after the Tottenham game. This is a United fan. Going, ha, you got beat today. And I said, yeah. And that's the gap between us and Liverpool has narrowed. Tottenham are closer to you, but it, all, it was all about City. Mark knows who, it's another work colleague, but um, yeah, first, after the game saying, you know, oh, you've just got beat. But, like, but how does that affect you? It doesn't affect you positively. It's a negative thing, but um, yeah, we'll do what we did when uh, Keith gave a piggyback at Old Trafford when we played. We had 10 men and Disser got sent off, but um, no, we, we, we should dismantle them. I mean, I know we won the last derby, but... We owe them a good few spankings for the last couple of seasons. Again, people like Mr. Housen, they measured Ollie's success basically on his results against City, even though we're small. It's like, yeah, but he's got a good record against Pep, but we're irrelevant. So either we are relevant or we're not. So you don't measure your results against City. That's like saying, you know, no disrespect, measuring results against Norwich or something. But, but we know what we know. And they'll be up for it. Like I say, this is their biggest game of the season. They'll tell us it's Liverpool. I say it time and time again. United and Liverpool have never been in a title race. So for all this massive rivalry, they've never had an on-field rivalry. It's it's ludicrous. I can't think of any title race between them two. Their biggest game is City. And they know that. They've always hated us. The banner, I'll reference it to Monash Anniversary, the 76 Cup final. No countdown banner for Liverpool going 30 years without a league title. Yeah, they want to knock them off the perch. Why not remind them? Reminded City. 
but we're kicking sand in their face day in day out. And that's what I love. I was born to, I was born to antagonise them, and all their things are coming home to roost right now. So it won't make any difference to me what happens at the weekend. We're Manchester City, and we're we're in the best position possible. United are ten years behind us. Absolutely arrogance has made them think well, this United way. It's it's a myth. It's a myth, you know. Ironically, no disrespect to Keith's old neighbour, Mark Hughes, but since we were invented in 2008, everyone should say, oh, I don't think we've money. Well, how come Mark Hughes with his famous United DNA didn't win a trophy with City with all that money? Everyone else has, but it's not about money. It's about how you, you know, get a team playing. You had, Mark Hughes had quality players, players that are legends, but he didn't do what Bobby Mank or Pellegrini or Pepper's done. You know, we had the same money. So this mythical, anyone can win. You know, United spent more than us. Why aren't they winning anything? Lots of clubs have spent lots of money and won nothing. So people just, it's dismissive. And it's, it's I hold these people in contempt because they're a bit stupid. <laughs> they must be. Because if they watch City and don't, you know, I'll be honest. I've watched club teams in the past that were really good. And you take your city hat off and go, that's brilliant. I used to like watching Arsenal. There was a time when I'd watched United games when we were in the third division and you watch United playing, think, this is how you play, wingers attacking football. And you doff your captain because you're not bitter. You know, the fact that they call us bitter. Leeds used to have a really good side under O'Leary. And you appreciate football. We've clapped Arsenal off after spanking us loads of times. And you appreciate it, but then you give it us. You don't acknowledge that if they can't see that we're one of the greatest football sides in the world, Football's not for them, and that's what I'll always say. I don't. I think they don't understand. I said this last year when I did your podcast. There are some people that don't understand football and shouldn't watch it because I see what they say week in week out on bigger, pod, you know, bigger audiences on some silly Stratford Paddockers, and they talk rubbish. And you're thinking, do you actually know what you're talking about? But they get hits because they're surrounded by you know sycophantic bloody lunatics who don't understand football but I'd rather they were not in our club so that's good we don't have that many of them thankfully but yeah it's all good it's all good at Manchester City always will be because we're Man City well said Andrew I'll leave the last word on this podcast Keith I'll start before I ask you about the the the, the derby next weekend by just asking you if you've got a favourite derby memory yourself um I think he got, got mentioned earlier on, scoring a penalty when we're down to 10 men uh, at Old Trafford. Um, David White got brought down by Steve Bruce uh, and it seemed to be an eternity putting the ball on the net, uh, putting the ball on the spot. Uh, and I knew where I was going, but you look up um, in front of all the City fans and Peter Smichael he looked massive in the goal. Uh, and then... You have being a penalty taker, you do have that thought. I, uh, I'm thinking, I, you know, my last three penalties, I'd gone to his left, um, so I knew that he would know that I'm going to his left. And you have that little doubt, saying like, do I change? And he put put the ball down, and like, I've gone to pull me short. So I'm going, go, no, I'm going where I'm going. Um, he went the right way, but the the, the, the again, goalkeepers must be the same. He must have he's put the last three there. Is he going to change? Um, did he commit? Did he go early enough? Um, but again, scoring a goal. Uh, Milad keeps on sending it to me uh, every now and again. I think the anniversary of the goal or an anniversary of a derby game or something like that. Milad will send it to me on a text uh, so I get the video of it and anything in that. Uh, um, I enjoyed the pressure uh, and I enjoyed that uh, that excitement and the responsibility of scoring of scoring a goal and being uh, and then celebrating the goal, uh, even though it was very, just very simple. Yes. Uh, I think, and again, so on-field memories, uh, excellent. Uh, we had a ritual as well, myself and Mark, uh, when, when we got to know each other uh, as not only uh, as footballers, but also then as neighbours as well. Uh, when we had derby games, uh, the wives used to go to the games together uh, and uh, whoever won um, um, would take the, the other one for a drink in their pub. So I think we played at, uh, we played at Old Trafford. Um, we got beat. I think it was when Michael von von Steck was maybe the, the left back. The, the German lad gave the pet gave the penalty away, and we got beat three two. Um, so uh, I had to go for a drink uh, with Sparky after the game in, in his pub. We got, we got to a pub in Stratford. That was where 
you know, all the Stretford lads went and everything like that. So as we do, as we're walking into the, walking into the pubs, you can imagine the captain of Man City, the legend Mark Hughes, you know, just going to a local pub, cut the pies before we uh, we were going up. Just as we walk through the door, uh, Mark said the bar's there, and he's turned left and gone to the toilet. So I've walked into a pub full of Man United fans, and I'm still like, I've got me, I've got my City blazer on uh, and, and my City tie, and, it, and you, there was a deathly hush uh, in in the pub. I've just gone back again, two pints of Guinness, please. One for me, one for, one for Sparky. And then, luckily enough, by the time we got to serve, Sparky was coming back. And I'm thinking, thank God, <laughs> thank God for that. But yeah, I've got to say, I spent, I spent an hour in there. Good manner, good humour. Um, took a little bit of stick, uh, which, which, which you expect. But again, um, I put myself in that position. Um, but again, the, the landlord at the, at the pub was excellent as well, because as, as, as soon as I walked in, he's like, oh, my, what are you doing in here? I said, I'm with Sparky. He went, yeah, good lad. Well, well done for the penalty and well done for the bravery of walking into that pub. What, what do you think of this derby then? Are you uh, optimistic it'll be another uh, step towards the title for City? Yeah, I think um, Pep has got this habit. He gets good players to turn up week in, week out. Uh, doesn't build it up, uh, won't try and overshadow it. He will demand that his players turn up. Um, and again... Uh, consistently, uh, they do. The uh, uh, City players will be looking forward to the game more than Man United players will be. Well, it's been an absolute joy to listen to you, Keith, uh, for the last hour or so. Uh, so thanks very much for your time. Really appreciate it. Um, Mark and Andrew, the same goes to you too. Uh, thanks very much indeed for your time. Really appreciate it. Uh, CharlesLouis.co.uk, uh, Chartered Mortgage Advisors, buying and selling a property and all that sort of stuff, the sponsors. So big thanks to them as well. Uh, but um, more than anything, uh, thanks very much if you're a City fan. For listening, if you're not a City fan, I hope you've enjoyed it as well. And we'll do the same thing again uh, next week. So uh, with a big thank you again to Keith Curl, our special guest tonight. Uh, that's it for this podcast. Um, the Derby match next week, we'll debrief on that, of course, once it's been played. In the meantime, have a great footballing week, including the trip to Peterborough. You're going down there, I'll see you. Uh, but remember one thing, if you don't remember anything else from this podcast, it's always great to be a Blue. <laughs>